Well, welcome here today. We're continuing our series called Family Matters. My name is Tom. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to do that during our coffee time. Uh, during this series, Family Matters, we've been kind of taking out the family and looking at it from a lot of different angles. We've looked at uh, what it means to be part of God's spiritual family first, uh, if we're followers of Jesus. We've looked at uh, some of the baggage we can carry from our family of origins. We've, we've explored some of the different aspects of what it means that God is now the head of our family, various things uh, we've looked at. Um, I'm excited to continue that series today. There's something you need to know about God's family. He loves it when it grows. Now, I know we're at the time of the year where we've planted, or some of us at least have planted gardens, and those of us who haven't have looked over the fence at others and seen it happening. And, and, and you know that time of the year where you've planted something, and then all of a sudden, there it is. Isn't that exciting? Isn't everything with you just sort of cheer? Because out of the dirt came this bean. Well, beans aren't hard. They all come up, right? But I, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, in the first service, someone shouted, yeah, look at your garden, and there come the weeds. But yes, but, you know, there's things growing, and we're excited, especially how many have had the experience of going away for a few days and then coming home and going, wow, look at it. And you kind of walk around marveling at the growth, right? Anyone? Have you ever had that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think... God is like that with us. Like he walks around and when he sees new growth happening in us and among us, he's excited. He's like, woohoo, look at that coming out of the dirt over there. How exciting. Or to switch analogies, did you, have, you, have you seen the babies coming around here? Some have come, some are coming, you know. Isn't that exciting? We love it when babies are added to the mix. Well, God feels the same way. In fact, Jesus said in one of his stories that, all of heaven throws a party when just one person turns around and puts their trust in Jesus and follows him, becomes a member of his family. There's a big party that goes on because God loves it when his family grows. God loves church growth. It's actually his dream. He wants to see more people at the table, more kids running around shrieking and screaming, right? He wants to see more men discovering their God-given purpose. He wants to see more women empowered by the Holy Spirit to do all that he's given them to do. He, he wants to see more families added to his family. More people at the table. Lives being changed. I think God looks around at his garden, <laughs> his family, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Grow, grow, grow. Yeah, yeah. Flourish. Expand. Get in there. Grow. Because God's excited when he sees growth. Well, the question we have this morning is, how does God's family grow exactly? Like, how does it actually happen? Anyone want to throw out a suggestion? How does, it, how does this family grow? Okay. What else? Some of us plant seeds, yeah. Wait a minute, use the garden analogy, Sherry, yes. Well, to cut to the chase, I mean, there's a lot of different things that happens, but when you cut right down to it, God's family grows by invitation only. Not invitation only in the sense of, eh, some exclusive club, and it's by, you know, you're barred from the gate. But the sense of, like, that's the only way people get added to the family is by invitation. In the Old Testament, the people that are created are told to be fruitful and multiply, but that command shifts. By the time we get to the New Testament, Jesus looks at his people and he says, I want you to grow, but instead, this time, I want you to go make disciples. That's the commission he gives to his new family so that it grows. And there's only one group of people who are authorized to issue the invitation. 
It's people who have already been invited into the family, members of God's own family who then go sharing this invitation with others. Because unless we're going to invite, who's going to come? It'd be like hosting a party and get everything set up, but then don't tell anyone you're having a party. What a downer that would be. You know, people are only going to come if they're invited. Paul, uh, the great apostle Paul, he asks a rhetorical question in one of his letters, his letters to the Romans. He said this, he has a long series of questions that get to this point, but he says, how can they, these people far away from Jesus, people who aren't aware of what God has done in Christ, the, the, you know, people that aren't, aren't familiar with the story of Jesus, how can they hear about Jesus unless someone tells them about Jesus? Rhetorical question, because the answer is, well, they aren't going to hear about Jesus. Nobody's going to hear about Jesus if someone doesn't tell them about Jesus. It kind of makes sense. And what it highlights is that there's a basic job that every Jesus follower has, and that is, as we capture it around here, is to help people find and follow Jesus. Now, last week, Dana gave us a great, challenging message. I just really was encouraged and um, challenged by it, and I want to know, I want you to know, if you missed it last week, I really urge you to go and hear it online, ericksongovern.ca, or under iTunes, under our church name. But she, she challenged us to take this call to help each other follow Jesus very seriously, because it's actually no, it's not like the pastor's job or someone else's job. Any follower of Jesus, we've been given responsibility to help each other follow Jesus. That's called discipleship. And she issued a great challenge to us as members of God's family to be about the business of helping each other follow Jesus. Well, today we're going to explore how is it exactly that we help people find Jesus in the first place. And we're going to be super practical this morning. Some of you may even be a little uncomfortable. This is going to be a little bit more of a workshop than a message. It's going to require for some of you to do a bit of a stretch. Uh, No, I'm not going to have you stand up and do charades or anything. Don't worry. It's not that bad. But you're going to have to work a little. You're going to have to lean in and be willing to kind of engage and get practical this morning. The Apostle Peter, another one of the early church planters and followers of Jesus, he told Christians that if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Can we say that together? Always be ready to explain Let's try it one more time. Always be ready to explain it. Yeah, someone asks you about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. But the truth is, and I don't mean anything harsh when I say this, the truth is that many of us aren't really ready to explain it. You know, like we, we, we could bumble around, we could make some sense of things, or we could stand there looking struck dumb if someone were to ask us why we think, but most of us aren't, like, ready to explain it. And we need to be. For followers of Jesus, we apparently need to be ready to explain it. We can know that we should be. We can even say that we should be. We can say that it's important that we help others find Jesus. We can name all those things, but if we don't actually know how to give the invitation or how to tell the story, uh, we may end up not doing it very much. We won't have the confidence. We won't know exactly what to do. I think today's message and and the practical things we're going to do today are really great for anyone, no matter where you're at. Now, if you're new to faith and you're exploring what does it mean that I'm following Jesus, this will really help you because the way we're going to tell the story today is going to cast the big story of the whole Bible, and you're going to kind of get a grip on a deeper understanding of what it means to be in God's family, what it means to follow Jesus. Those of you who follow Jesus for a long time and have maybe learned over the years different ways of explaining the faith, explaining what it means to follow Jesus, I believe that this uh, model that I'm going to show you this morning will really help you. I think it will actually deepen your own understanding of faith. It will help you re-articulate 
the story to others, and it may even give you a little uh, encouragement to, to, to get going again. But for those of us who are among us who are still exploring who Jesus is, and I know you're here, and I'm so thrilled that you're here, that you're still exploring, like, what does it mean? Who is this Jesus? What is this story that they're talking about? How does this all make sense? That if you'll grab a hold of this today and you'll practice it like I'm going to get you to practice it, that you yourself will have a greater understanding of what is it that Christians believe exactly. You may not believe it yet, but at least now you have a deeper understanding of what Christians believe. You'd be able to explain it even to someone else. And you're able to grapple with it more fully in your own life. So, I'm going to dive right in. In your bulletins, you've got sheets of paper. I was going to put napkins in your bulletins. But I did realize that napkins are more difficult to write on. Terry talked some sense into me. Or was it Joanne? I'm not sure. But uh, I put slips of paper in your bulletin, and you want to pull them out now. I know some of you are resisting me right now. You're saying, no, I'm not going to pull out that piece of paper. Please, pull it out. We're going to try this together. I'm going to tell you a way of telling the story of Jesus that was developed by uh, James Chung, who was, uh, was I think, uh, University uh, USA, University Christian Fellowship uh, US staff member, and he wrote this great book called True Story, a Christianity Worth Believing, which details this in kind of a narrative uh, framework. It details what I'm going to share with you today, and we owe uh, James a real debt for developing this for us. Uh, for those listening on the podcast, I realize I'm going to be drawing some beautiful art up here today. And, uh, I, but you're not seeing that. And so I, I want to encourage you to go to the Facebook page or to our website, and we'll post James himself going through what I'm doing right now in just a few minutes and explaining it. And you'll see the visual that goes along. So what I'm going to do right now for all of us is I'm actually going to tell you the story as though we were sitting across from each other at a coffee shop, and you would actually ask me, hey, like, what's the deal, man? You believe in Jesus. Can you tell me what that's all about? That happens, you know. And so I'm going to actually tell it as though you've just asked me that question. Here we go. Watch. Watch and learn, as they say. Okay. When we look around us, we can see the world is pretty messed up. You know, whether we're talking about wars, talking about babies starving, people being trafficked for sexual slavery, even looking at family breakdowns and relationships and health struggles. We all can acknowledge the world is a pretty messed up place. What's interesting is how we feel about that. Most of us find that troubling. There's something wrong with the world. Uh, We look at things and we think it shouldn't be that way. Well, that feeling itself, that ache, that hunger, that, that even feeling of anger toward injustice is a sign that there's something that should be better. It points, in fact, to greater things. People are hungry. It points to the existence of food. Um, People experience this tragic uh, relationship breakdown. It points to the desire and the need for greater relationships. What it suggests, in fact, is that either the world was better at one point and is now worse, or that it should be getting better, or it should be better in some way. What we realize is the Christian worldview teaches that that's exactly true, that God created a world that was good, And he created people in his image who were to care for the world that he created, were to be in right relationship with each other and right relationship with him. And that the whole world was, in fact, designed for good. Well, how did we get designed for good? How did we get from here to here? What went wrong? Well, the Bible teaches that human beings decided they didn't want to live under God's rule. 
didn't want to do what God said, and they started to make decisions that ultimately hurt each other and broke their relationship with each other, began to harm the planet that God had given them to take care of, and then ultimately broke their relationship with God. That, in fact, the whole world was damaged and is damaged by evil. Of course, we're thankful. The Christian story teaches us that God didn't just abandon us there. In fact, through a long story, through the people of Israel, God sent his son, Jesus. He came into the world. Though the world is still very messed up, Jesus arrived and began to teach people what it means to live under the reign of God. People began to discover that there was a God who loved them, that there was forgiveness of sins, that, that in fact, this wasn't the way the world was supposed to be. And they came to Jesus and they began to receive life and, and healing and hope. But ultimately, Jesus not just taught them the reign of God and revealed that to them through his healing and his teaching, but ultimately he went to the cross and he died for the sin and the evil and the brokenness, the bad choices and the things that have gone wrong in the world. He took it upon himself and died on the cross. But on the third day, he rose again. What we, what we believe is that Jesus is in the process still of restoring for better. Whoops. The world is being restored for better. But he didn't stop there either. Jesus, in fact, began a revolution. Yes, the world is still broken. But Jesus, as he bring, brought healing and forgiveness to people, he started to create a community of people who, having received healing and forgiveness, he then sent out into the world. He sent them out to proclaim his message, that there was forgiveness, that there was healing, that God did have a better plan. What we discover is that we, anyone who's come to follow Jesus, has been sent together to heal. The interesting question is, why we can't just jump from here to here? We acknowledge that there's things wrong in the world, things that need to be fixed. Why can't we just get on with the business of fixing things? Why don't we just, you know, start doing things better? Well, that's a good question. But what we discover is the complexity and the depth of brokenness and evil in the world is very, very difficult to get to. In fact, we'll be quickly overwhelmed by the sheer size and complexity of evil in the world. But we also discover that we ourselves are part of the problem, that the way the world is is because of human choices, that humans themselves need to be fixed. And that's why God's invitation is for us to come to Jesus first to let him bring healing and forgiveness in our lives, to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then, with Jesus' resources and the gift of the Holy Spirit, to then come with him and to be part of his mission, part of his church, being sent together to heal. The question for you is, where are you? Where, maybe what circle would you most identify with? Are you, are you here? Are you, thinking, are you living a life where you think, life's pretty good, and frankly, I, I just want to keep my head down and, and kind of enjoy it. Or are you so overwhelmed, maybe even anxious, by the evil and the damage and the sickness in the world, whether it's in your own life or blown up on a global scale? You feel very anxious and troubled by what's going on. Or perhaps you yourself have come to follow Jesus. You've accepted forgiveness and healing, but, but you sort of have stayed there. You, you've just kept it to yourself, and you've made it something just for you, and you've forgotten that to be part of the family of Jesus means to be part of the mission of Jesus, of bringing healing to the world. Or maybe you're here where you're very concerned to bring healing or, or to bring change or to serve the poor or to protect animals or do whatever. and You want to make a difference in the world, but you don't really know how Jesus fits into it. 
you don't really think maybe Jesus has anything to say. And, and the invitation in this story is to see how it's Jesus' resources that will ultimately bring freedom, hope, and healing. You might find yourself angry. You might find yourself cynical or just wondering if any change can be made. Where are you in this story? That's the presentation. And uh, it's, you know, it can be done in three to five minutes as you learn it. And then it you know, opens us up for more conversation. So what, what I want to do now is I want to walk you through and explain a few things, just break it down a little bit, and then uh, throw it over for questions if you have any questions, and then you will have an opportunity to try it, um, to try it as well. The first thing I want to say, and it might be obvious uh, for those of us who know the story a little more but might be new to you, is that this is actually the big story of the whole Bible. Any of you, any of you see that? This is basically Genesis 1 and 2. This is Genesis 3 over here, Genesis Genesis 3 and onward. Um, This line, which could be seriously developed, is really the whole Old Testament story of God's people coming down to Jesus, and that lands us at the Gospels. And then this, you could say, is Acts, kind of Acts 2 onward. So that's the big story of Scripture, actually, as it's laid out in your Bible. It's also the big story in terms of its, its creation, the fall. God's plan of redemption and then how he's working that out in, 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 in and through the church. So uh, this is also casts kind of the big story. Um, and it's something that if you're newer to faith or maybe you've been trying to figure out how the Bible hall works, when you learn this little pictogram, um, it actually helps you capture the whole movement of the story of God, which I think can be really, really helpful. The second thing is that this is a very flexible, um, very flexible way to approach the story. Because you can kind of start where people are at. Now, I've ran you through the story today and kind of how it would start if someone actually sat down with coffee and said, tell me why you believe about Jesus. But in conversation with people, you might find someone who's, who's stuck here, who's experiencing a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress because of the troubles in their own lives or in the world. And, and you may have an opportunity to, to start the conversation there, as I did, and then tell the whole story. But you might also run to someone who's extremely active in trying to make a difference, but feels frustrated by the slowness of change or frustrated and cynical about people and isn't yet seeing how Jesus wants to make a difference in their lives and help resource the mission. You may run into someone whose head's stuck firmly in the sand. Not as many are around, but sometimes you do, and they need a reality check. And you also may run into people who uh, profess to follow Jesus but seem to have adopted kind of an isolated uh, view like they can just kind of live their own little life and follow their own little Jesus and do their own little thing and ignore the fact that he's called us into his mission. So wherever people are at, this is a flexible uh, way of engaging the conversation. And it may be, a lot of times, it may be that you would never uh, get an opportunity to write this out. But when you know this story, it can help inform the way you talk and the conversations you have. It, you, can help, you can think it through and think, oh, I think I know where I'd go next in the story. Or I think I, I know what the struggle is here. And, and it enables you and kind of informs you. So it's, it's very flexible. The third one is that it's memorable. It's memorable for you if you practice it, which I'm going to challenge you to do. It's quite easy to remember these four circles and kind of the movements within them. So it's memorable for you as you tell the story, designed for good, damaged by evil, restored for better, sent together to heal. But it's also memorable for others. I know in my experience when I've written out things like this or other, even other diagrams with people that I've been explaining faith to, they often want to keep this. I'll tell you really honestly that there was a person in the first service who 
came up to me afterwards as I was crumpling this up and said, you should auction those off. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but he actually took them. He wanted to keep them. So they, they're memorable. And they, um, they're, they're, they're memorable for you as the teller, but they're also memorable for the person receiving it. And of course, the big advantage is it's portable. Yes, I wrote it on a flip chart, but you can write it on a napkin at a restaurant. You can write it in the sand at the beach. You can write it on the back of your hand if you want to. You can literally write, or maybe write it on the back of their hand. Uh, just kidding. Um, but, you know, it's, it's very portable. It can go with you wherever you go. And then the, the fifth thing, which is really important, is that it's conversational. It's meant to be conversational. I know when you practice it, it can feel really, not stilted, but, you know, you're kind of trying to figure it out and remember it. But once you're familiar with it, it's very conversational because along the way you can, you can dive in more, into more depth. Or after you've shown them this, your friend or your neighbor or whatever, uh, someone in your family, you then can discuss it. You ask them, where are you at? Or what do you identify with? Or what do you think the struggle is? Or uh, how does Jesus fit? And, and, and you can begin to have a conversation, which is the whole point. That's how the invitation is given. So any questions about this? Any thoughts or, or you know, confusion or things you'd like to bring up? Uh, I'd love to, to hear what you're, what you're thinking about this, this little way of telling the big story of Jesus. Any thoughts, questions? Anyone at all? Thanks, Jesse. So Jesse just commented that I started with the, the broken first, or James does actually. It, it's probably because... Very few people would say, I don't think there's anything going wrong in the world. Like, it's really a landing point that virtually everyone we talk to, there's something. We may not, we may not agree on the same things all the time, but there is something that we can all agree on is wrong in the world. And so st- that's a starting point that then James suggests can be used to point to our inherent desire or, or sense that things should be better. And that, 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 and that points us to the story of God. So, yeah, it has to do with a common era. Not everyone would accept this, that we're designed for good. Um, and, and, and as James puts it, which I think is really good, he says, in the Christian worldview, you know, the Christian worldview teaches. Because that's not necessarily accepted. So here's a point, damaged by evil, or at least something's wrong with the world, most of us would agree on. And then from there, you're able to tell the Christian story as Christians have believed it, um, from the standpoint of the Christian worldview and invite the person to consider it. So, yeah, it has to do with the common, common agreed uh, understanding, I guess. Anyone else? Questions or thoughts? That God is in the process of restoring, well, we, be, we believe a, f- a fully Christian, oh, this is going to not land me in hot water, but uh, there's so much more going on here. The, oh, the question is, restored for better, is it this world or the next? The answer would be both. But uh, fully, a fully orbed worldview would say that God you know, has promised to recreate this world. So when we think of the future, we're talking about resurrection, recreation. But what we recognize, and all Christians believe this, is that God has started the process of restoration in the work of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. And that he's, it's like recre- the future of recreation has started now. Not fully, obviously. Uh, these squiggly lines in every circ- all three circles suggest that the world is still messed up, but God has begun something in Jesus and by the Holy Spirit now through the church. It's, it's like new creation has come from the future and it's landed in the present and it's being worked out. Yeah. Say that again, Aaron. Yes, restoring thrust. We are in the process of being restored. 
like as we experience healing and grace and change in our life transformation in our own lives and then we're sharing that out not because we've got it together or we're perfect but like we're sharing the healing that we are experiencing and who's changing us we're sharing that with others we're in on the mission of inviting others into contact with jesus right to experience what we're experiencing together uh so it's a process that jesus um inaugurated but is now working out through the holy spirit yeah other thoughts or questions mish yeah yeah that's right so the question Mish asked, and it was brought up after the uh, first service, uh, was the Adam and Eve question of, like, how do you engage the Adam and Eve? So you'll notice I didn't say anything about Adam and Eve. And I, I ignored it. And some of you don't like that, and some of you love that. That represents the spectrum of Christian belief here. But what I, what I do want to say is this. Um, in, in this short telling, we're not going to make whether a person is able to even move on with us in the story about that in particular. We're simply going to make a statement that we believe Scripture teaches that the world was designed for good. It was designed for right relationships. We're not going to dive deep into that. You may in conversation, but at, this, at the point of this presentation, we're not going to dive deep into that. We're not going to make that a barrier or a hinge point on which the rest hangs. We're simply going to say the Christian worldview teaches that though the world was damaged, it was designed for better. It was designed for good. It wasn't meant to be this way. And then we move on to, to Christ. So we're, you know, some of us believe in a literal Adam and Eve, and some of us don't. Uh, and that, you know, there's lots of different Christian conversation we can have about that. But this basic presentation simply doesn't bring that up yet. It simply talks about the fact that the Christian worldview teaches that the world was created for us to be in right relationship with God, with each other, and with the planet that he gave us responsibility for. So it just doesn't even address that right now. How you would go further with that would be another part of the conversation. Other questions? Is there a solid way you can get people to respond? Let me just say this about that. Thank you, Carl. One, if people have been willing to let you share this with them, they have responded. I think that's pretty great. I think the big thing there is to say, like, what do you think of this? Um, Where do you see yourself in this? And, and, And begin to talk to them about like wherever the spirit leads, wherever the conversation leads, because people will come at it very different ways. And, and uh, I, one person related a story to me after the first service that, you know, often we find ourselves in conversations about this, but doing this. What I mean by that is we're interacting with people that are suffering in some way. They're, 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 they're having a breakdown in a relationship or they're struggling with a kid or they're, they're having some kind of crisis in their lives. And we find ourselves listening to them, caring for them, pointing them to Jesus, even praying with them that we're actually we're actually doing the mission at that point like we've been sent together to heal and in our workplaces and our schools and on our streets we're representing the love of jesus and we're we're listening to people and and offering hope in him so we're we're doing this while talking to people about this and pointing them to jesus and so the response really carl and for all of us is going to be can we have a conversation about jesus and ask them where they're at and what their next steps might be to discover who jesus is so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to do this again. I want you to pull out the slip of paper, uh, turn it over, whatever. And this time, I'm going to go through it again. Because the truth is, folks, I had to practice this a few times. And I still, you know, had to think about what I was doing. It takes some practice. Do you know that? And so what I want you to do is take out that slip of paper again, flip it over, and just try drawing with me as I go through this once again. Okay? 
I was going to tell you to start your clock, see how long it takes me. But no, I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to rush it. But here we go. You've just asked me to explain the hope that I have. And I say, can I draw something for you? I'm not much of an artist, but can I scratch a few things on a page? And you say, oh, sure, go ahead. We've got a few minutes. Well, when we look around us at the world, we can all acknowledge that there's something wrong. Wherever we look, there's troubles. There's wars. There's terrorism. People being trafficked for slavery. There's, there's, there's marital breakdown and families and kids being neglected. All around, we see brokenness and struggle. We can all acknowledge, I think, that there's something wrong with the world. But what's interesting about that is to ask, how do we feel about that? Like, how do we feel about the brokenness that we see? Most of us look at that and we think, oh, that's not right. It should be better. And that feeling itself points us to something. The fact that we think there shouldn't be hunger, the fact that there is hunger at all, points us to our need for food, the existence of food. The fact that we look at a broken relationship, we think that's tragic, points us to the desire and the need for better relationships. All the things that are wrong in the world can point us to something better, and whether the world used to be better or whether it should be better in some way. What's interesting is that the Christian worldview teaches exactly that, that God created the world perfect, and that God created humans in this world to care for each other, to care for the world that he'd given them, and to, to live in right relationship with him. That the whole world was, in fact, designed, designed for good. So the question is, how did we get from this world that was designed for good to this world that's so messed up? Well, in the Christian story, it teaches that human beings, very shortly after being created, decided we don't want to live under God's rules. And they began to make choices, and we ourselves even now make choices that hurt each other, that break relationship with each other. And that's exactly what happened, that harmed the planet that they were responsible for and ultimately made choices that broke their relationship with God, that in fact the whole world is damaged by evil. Well, thankfully, God didn't just ignore us, leave us that way. In the Christian story, we're told that through a long history of God's people, Israel, God sent his son, Jesus, into the world. And that through Jesus, he began to teach us what it means to live under the reign of God. He began to gather people to himself and offer them healing and forgiveness. And though the world was broken, people began to see that in Jesus, the world was being restored for better. As the story of Christianity moves on, we realize that God wasn't content to just gather a few people around Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He took evil and suffering to himself. He paid the price of sin, and then he rose again from the dead so that sin and death could be defeated and people could be truly saved for a relationship with him. But then he does something even further. We realize that Jesus himself is starting a revolution, that though the world is still very messed up, He's called a group of people who've expressed faith in him and trust in him. He's called them to be part of his movement, his healing to the world. And he sent them, in fact, out into the world to offer healing and grace and forgiveness that's available in Jesus so that people who've received Jesus have been sent together to heal. 
Now, we may wonder, why can't we just jump from here to here? We acknowledge the world has you know, got problems, and we can see that some of those problems need to be fixed, and, and we can just dive in and try to fix them. Why can't we just move from here to making things better? But what we realize is that the problems and the evils of this world are not only incredibly complex and incredibly deep, we will not have the resources to actually fix them ourselves, but we also begin to realize very quickly that the problems in the world actually have a lot to do with us, that we ourselves need to be healed and fixed and forgiven. And so what we hear in the story of Jesus is that we're invited to come to him to receive healing and life and forgiveness and wholeness, and then resourced by him and the Holy Spirit to join his mission to bring healing to the world. So the question is, where are you? Where are you in this story? What circle do you most identify with? Are you here where you think the world is pretty great and I just want to keep my head down and ignore everything else and just live my own happy little life? Or, or are you here overwhelmed by the evil and suffering in the world, whether it's in your own life or what's happening globally? Or perhaps you're here where you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe that he died and rose again, but you've kind of kept that to yourself. You've remained isolated. You haven't maybe embrace the fact that to be part of the family of Jesus means that you're part of the mission of Jesus. And you need to grapple with what it means that you, as a follower of Jesus, have been sent together to heal. Or maybe you're here, where you're wanting to make a difference in the world and serve the poor and protect the earth and, 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 and care for those around you, but you don't really see how Jesus fits into it. And you've been trying to make change and, and trying to figure out what's wrong in your own life or, or around you, and, and you need to grapple with the place that Jesus has in that. Where are you in this story? So that's how it rolls out. Let's get super practical now. For five minutes, I want you to turn to a neighbor or a friend. This is a safe place. Whether you're exploring faith or you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, practice telling this to the person near you. Draw through it, write through it. You can talk over top of what you've already written, however that works, but I want you to take a few minutes, share this with a neighbor, and practice this. We're going to be really practical here this morning. The guys back there are going to turn on some music. I'm going to turn on a timer. Go. All right, how did you do? How did it work? You're not finished. Well, have I got great news for you. You said you're not finished. Let me uh, jump straight to our challenge, our application for the week. So, your challenge for the week, first of all, is to practice this thing once a day for the week. Now, I think you can all do that. It only takes a couple minutes. You can do it to yourself, by yourself. You can practice it. Here's why, here's why I urge you to do this. It's, there's so much more going on with this than just writing some circles. It's actually deepening your understanding of the whole story. And, and so I encourage you to practice it because the more you're just familiar with this, not only would you be able to draw it with familiarity and be able to comfortably do it, but it'll deepen your own understanding with the whole story, especially those of you who are newer, newer to faith. So practice it one time daily. I urge you to do that. Yeah, Adrian. Oh, my goodness. Throw her under the bus. Um, you know, great question. The inside circle sort of represents the relationship with God. I know it's, you know, here it is where it's clean and clear. 
and here it is where it's damaged, here it is where it's been restored. So it represents that. You're right, I didn't tease all that out. Um, yeah, I do want to encourage you, I will post James Chong himself going through this. He does it in three minutes flat, so you have to leave a lot of stuff behind when you do that. But um, it'll be on our Facebook page, and I think I'll ask Terry to post the link below the podcast as well on our podcast page on our website. So it will be available. We'll circulate it around. And maybe I'll link to it in my email too. So anyway, so it is it is there for you to look at. But yeah, that's what that represents. Thanks for that question. So practice it once a day. So that, point number two, by the end of the week, before next Sunday, I challenge you to practice it, share it with someone safe. Like, it could be someone here. Like, you know, that gets why you would say, hey, I want to practice this thing with you. This four circles thing that, you know. Um, it could be someone that, uh, you know, in a, in a family member. It could be your own child, whatever. But share it with someone safe before next Sunday. That's a little bit like a deadline, put, put you up so that you practice it and then, and then share it. Okay? But now I want to take you one step further. To ask that God would give you an opportunity to actually tell it to someone outside the family. Someone who isn't familiar with who Jesus is, or, or maybe someone you've been in a faith conversation with, and you can say, and here's the deal, I'll give you permission. You can just say to them the same thing you say to the person who you're sharing it with that's safe. You can say, say the same thing. Just say, hey, can I do this thing with you? Like, my pastor, he, he asked us to share this with someone. Can, I, can you just help me out, help a friend, you know? Go ahead, do it. Uh, or you can just say, hey, you know, we've been talking a lot about Jesus, and, and on Sunday my pastor showed me this way of describing what God has done and kind of the big story. Can I share it with you really quick? It will only take a few minutes. And if, you know, you've, you've had conversation with a person, and, you know, but ask God to give you that opportunity. Folks, I want to just name it. This here, designed for good, damaged by evil, restored for better, sent together, that is really good news. Like, this is the best news that people will ever receive. It's amazing that God would do this for us by sending his son, Jesus. We know this. If, we, if we've been following Jesus or we've been grabbing, we know that this is true. This is amazing news. And that he's invited us to be part of his healing mission, to bring restoration and forgiveness to the world. Like, there's just nothing better than that. Nothing. It's amazing. So let's not hold back. Uh, Paul, in that same letter to Romans that I mentioned earlier, right at the very start, he said these words. He said, for I am not ashamed of the good news of Christ. Christ is the title for, for Jesus, like Christ the Messiah. I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. It's the power of God at work. We don't need to be ashamed. This is good news, folks. And, and, and the question I want us to ask is, what if we weren't? Like the what if question. What if we weren't ashamed? What if we weren't quiet? What if we actually began to tell this story in a bumbling, simple little way? What if people began to discover through you the good news that would change their lives? What if the invitation that you gave as weak and inadequate as you might feel, this simple invitation to consider this story and to consider Jesus, what if through your invitation the power of God changed the trajectory of someone's life forever, the trajectory of their family's lives for generations to come because we weren't quiet, because we were willing to share the story? That's the kind of what-if question 
that can get us going. This is the good news about Christ. It's the power of God at work, and we can trust it. We can trust that that even when we feel weak and even when we feel afraid and even when we aren't sure how this is going to work, we can trust that this story, that this amazing good news of what Jesus has done and is doing, it is powerful and it changes lives. We can trust that. And so I want to ask very boldly today, I want to ask if you would pray, if you would ask, if you would be willing to say today, God, I ask you to give me two things. I ask you to give me opportunity, and I ask you to give me boldness. I ask you to give me opportunity because I believe that I I need to share this story. If you will give me the opportunity to do so, if you will open the door, if you will get the conversation flowing, if you will help me over some hurdles, if you will help me get over some of my shyness, or maybe I feel ashamed, or maybe I'm not sure, if you will provide the opportunity, and then, Lord, give me the boldness to do it, I will share this story. And so today, to say, God, please give me opportunity and give me boldness. And if, I'm going to put you on the spot today, I don't do this very often, but if you're willing to pray that prayer, I'm going to ask you to stand. You're going to pray for opportunity and for boldness. And I want to say, If you're not ready to ask for that, or you're not even sure about Jesus yet, there's no shame in staying seated down, okay? No shame in that. But those of you who are willing to pray for opportunity and for boldness, I invite you to stand, and I'm going to pray for you. Opportunity and boldness, that's what we're asking for today. Opportunity to share this amazing story and the boldness to actually share the power of God which saves everyone who believes. Let's pray. Jesus, we are standing here before you. First of all, we confess that we have often been quiet. Even though this is the most amazing news, it changed our lives and it changes the lives of other people. It changes families. It changes whole people groups. It has changed all of history. Even though that is true, we've been somehow ashamed and quiet. And we confess that as sin. We confess that to you, Lord, and ask today that you would give us opportunity and boldness and lord i pray that you would you would give us the 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 eyes to see the opportunity the the willingness to step into the opportunities and knock on the door of opportunities and maybe even create some of those opportunities but lord jesus we ask today that you would give us opportunity to share your story and when that moment comes, when that door opens, when that person is willing to listen or they've asked a question, Lord Jesus, I pray that at that moment, by your Holy Spirit, you would give us boldness. For some of us, a boldness that doesn't come from us, is beyond our just normal extroversion or introversion or whatever, something that comes from you, that gives us the boldness, the bravery, the courage to tell your story with gentleness, with respect, to invite people to consider the good news of what Jesus has done and is doing in this world. So Lord, today, for opportunity and for boldness, we ask. In your name we pray. Amen.